Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across, I guess at this point, the globe to talk to us about what it takes to truly be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Um, I think that you are our first international guest on this. However, our next guest on Thursday will also be international. So joining me today, Rebecca Bonington is going to talk to us about some uh, five steps to building a world-class law firm. And I know there's a slideshow we're going to try to run that talks about a way to 7x revenue. Did I see that slide correctly? Fantastic. So if you want to listen to more from us after this show is over, we'll be live for about the next 40 minutes. We have our episode on Monday with Siobhan Olivero, where we talk about how to build and grow a firm through uh, ecosystem mergers and shared collaborative uh, speaking engagements. So with that, Rebecca, tell us a little about you and your company. Brilliant. Thank you, Jordan. And thank you for welcoming me here. I'm speaking from Edinburgh in a very dark, rainy Scotland. Um, so I run a business called Tricress and I founded it so that I could support the growth of professional services firms. It's a sector that's often overlooked and it's full of fantastic people with a huge amount to offer. Um, they're usually experts in their field, but don't have a huge amount of business training. So the way we support them is to talk to them about uh, what their purpose, vision and values are and start putting in their strategies and plans for growth. And we hold them accountable to those and see them flourish. It's fantastic. Which it's really interesting because like you would think that there are so many professional service providers. And I would like to think that for the most part, we tend to run uh, decently sized and profitable businesses, but then anytime you look for like specific sales training or coaches who only deal with a specific industry niche or specific um, professional services. It's not nearly as prevalent as one would think. I That's think. True. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Jordan. I think there's an assumption because, you know, people who run professional services firms are by their very nature, usually pretty smart, well-educated and seem to be in control of things. But it's like the proverbial swan that looks serene on the surface. They're paddling like mad underneath and they kind of they, they're making it up as they're going along as we all are in business, really, essentially. But they give this impression of it all being under control. Um, so I think it's a combination of people like coaches and consultants thinking, well, they've got it sorted. They don't really need us. But you just have to talk to any leader in a, a law firm, an accountancy firm, an architecture practice. And they're often saying, do you know what? I'm, I'm out of my depth here. I think I'm doing okay, but I'm just not sure. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I talk to lawyers all the time and we always kind of, if you could recreate law school from scratch, forget like what you would change. It's a shorter conversation. Like what would you keep? What actually applies to attorneys going forward? And so, you know, there's no at least from my perspective, there's no I'm trying to think of the right word here. Like there's, it, it's not a reflection on you as a failure for not knowing things that you were never trained about that aren't part of your schooling that aren't, you know, directly related to the actual job you're doing that are just related to the fact that you are running an overall business to do the job that you went to school for. Exactly. Yeah. You're not taught how to run a business when you go to law school and uh, you're not born naturally knowing how to run a business 
Um, and a lot of people don't realize that it is a skill that you can be taught um, and it's a skill that you can get better and better at. And I think there's almost an assumption, well, if I'm a, a lawyer or architect or whatever, I'm in professional services, I'm not an entrepreneur and therefore it, it's not the same as business but actually is business. And even if you don't think of yourself as an entrepreneurial thinker, you're a business owner and you're a business leader. And there are certain things you definitely need to know about and would definitely help you. Yeah, it's always interesting because, you know, like I'll, we'll speak at these different conferences across the country, usually they're lawyer focused. And so everybody's got their own little spin. You know, you've got the person talking about SEO versus ads versus email marketing versus whatever. But I've never heard anybody be like, don't run your law firm like a business. You know, don't be, don't do things correctly. Like I've never heard that be the advice. So it's got to be something that we have going on right. Or yeah. I guess the fix is right. Yeah, definitely. And I think because of the nature of the service that lawyers deliver, I think, um, you know, you, you can't go in all guns blazing with, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to have this strategy or that. There's a gentler approach, I think, to structuring and growing a legal practice. Um, perhaps the, there's more sensitivity around clients' needs and things like that um, than, you know, perhaps I would work with a manufacturer on, for example. The principles of growing the business are the same but applying them is slightly different when it comes to law firms, definitely. So from, we're going to get into these five steps to building a world-class law firm, but from, before we do that, from that perspective, like what is, what is the situation? What is the problem? What does it look like for an attorney or a law firm to know that they need you, that they need, you know, Tricress? Yeah, they're, they're stressed, they're overwhelmed and they're running around trying desperately to be a lawyer and service their clients and at the same time doing the recruitment the accounts the invoicing changing the light bulbs and they're trying to balance this growth of getting the right attorneys and lawyers on board and their own time and they're just pulled in too many directions and when they get to that stage it's time to go right hang on i i need some external support here yeah and it's always amazing to me because like it's not like it's passing those easier tasks those lower level tasks those tasks that don't require a law degree onto somebody else isn't like a you're better than them it's just a there are certain things that you have to do there are definitely things that they can't do. I mean, in, in Florida, it's a felony to practice law without a license. So right off the bat, you know, we're limiting people there. So when you're the only one at the, at the business, at the firm who can practice law, like you can't be spending time on those other things because you're doing a disservice to the clients. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's that tension in a growing firm, a growing business what does the owner founder or in partnerships, what do the partners let go of? What do they hold on to doing? And as you rightly say, you know, the same in the UK, you have to be a qualified lawyer with a practicing certificate to, to practice law. And, and that's the way it should be. Um, and um, but how much of that law do you still want to practice when you've got 25, 35 people in your firm? Very and true. It, you know, it's decisions like that. Are you not 
realistically going to practice all aspects of your particular niche that you're in necessarily if you're going to grow a firm that size and these kind of decisions have to be made fairly early on particularly if you are ambitious to grow a world-class law firm definitely and they need thinking about all right so let's dive in um okay. you're i'm going to put you in control of, of when we jump to the slideshow so that that could be quite risky <laughs> all right well i I don't know what's in it. It looked good from the couple of slides that I saw. And then Breezy is the one who's going to have to get it set up. So like, I have the easiest job here. Right. So y'all, y'all just tell me. Great. Well, the first thing to say is that this is not death by PowerPoint. This I literally, I only wanted to show you this because there's one key slide I want to show you. And it's much easier to show you a picture than me describe it. Okay. So let's right. how we get on here. All right. Um, so we're going to the slideshow. Yeah, we are. There we go. Cool. Uh, Thing. And I'm watching this live, so I'm going to see what this looks like from the live end as well. Can you see that? Is that uh, not yet. It's coming oh. in. We got the, oh, look at that. Breezy. That was a perfect transition there. <laughs> Fantastic. Wonderful. Okay. So the heading is how do you uh, 7x the value? And, and I put the title of world-class law firms because what, what what's beautiful about the process I'm about to talk to you about is not only does it create more value in your law firm, but it also creates world-class uh, attributes in your law, law firm. Does it make you the biggest law firm in the world? No, but what it does do is it really puts you on the map either in your geographical area or in your particular niche that you're in within law. Uh, and so creating the value builds a sustainable business, which in turn builds credibility, better clients, better employees, all of that wonderful stuff. So that's to put it in context, first of all. We're going to skip about how fabulous we are because we, we don't need that. This is the key uh, equation, if you like, that I'd like you to bear in mind. When we talk about value, it's profit times multiple, okay? We all understand profit, that's absolutely fine. It's the multiple that less of us understand. And, and can I jump in there for a second? Sure. So can you actually explain to us what you're talking about for profit? Because I have talked to a number of lawyers that get it totally right. I've talked to some that don't get it as right. So when, when from your perspective, what is profit? So profit is very, in the simplest terms, you take away your costs from your revenues. Absolutely simplest terms. So before the partners have paid themselves any kind of profit share or anything like that, you, you add up all the costs of the firm, your staffing costs, running costs, you, you add up all the revenues and you take one away from the other at a very basic level. And you can get really fancy with that, but I wanna keep this simple. Okay, the simplest concepts are the easiest ones to get. And, and so the part that I just want to jump in on is I hear a lot of attorneys who own their own firm that mm -hmm. are underpaying themselves and then figuring that they are more profitable because really they're not paying themselves what they should be paying. And okay. so I just, I'm always of the profit first model mindset of your profit is what is left over after you are actually paid what you should be paid for what you are doing. Yeah. So that's the one that that's where we see it come up the most. Yeah. So I, I specifically said um, before the profit share. But what I want to add is, is, is that the partners must be paying themselves some kind of 
base remuneration, salary, quarterly payment, whatever, before they even think about sharing profits. So you're right. absolutely right. What's their base income? And that's part of the cost model. Absolutely spot on. Um, if, if you're underpaying yourself, why are you running a business? Go and get yourself a job. Okay. Just, you know, pay yourself what you should be paid. And then you can really work on the value in the business. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And I just, that's the, that is exactly what I want lawyers to keep in mind that you are not a profitable company. If you are not taking a paycheck and you should be taking a paycheck for more than the profitable of it. So don't, uh, don't fudge the accounting to make you think that you're in a better position to not get help or make changes that you need to make. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Good. Okay. Are we ready for the next one? Well, let's, we didn't talk about multiple. I, uh, I cut no, you off there. I'm about to show you what it is. Oh, okay. Perfect. I'm about to show you what it is. So most businesses get this stuff, you know, cost management, economic engine control, which is your revenue cycle asset management, management of liabilities, economic and political landscape, businesses can't control, but they can adapt and flex as we've seen in the past year, okay? Most businesses do that or they have an accountant that keeps their eye on that kind of thing. That's kind of taken as given, all right? That's part of running a business. And one of the key things I would advocate to anybody leading a law firm is outsource this financial cost management piece to somebody who's really good at finance. Pay for the best financial brain that you possibly can for the stage you're at. Even if that means you can only afford, you know, an hour of a really great finance director once a month, pay for it to get a really clear understanding of your numbers because you can't make proper decisions without having good sight of your numbers, okay? Absolutely I agree. Yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. I leave that to people who are much cleverer than me with spreadsheets. Uh, and I have somebody that I use, uh, a guy called Andrew, that comes in and supports my clients on that. So once you've taken care of that, you can then focus as a leader of the firm or a founder of the firm, which whichever you are, on the stuff that feed into the multiple. The multiple is, if you see the pink line on the screen, the multiple is the average value for your business. So I don't know, the average value of a law firm in New York of four partners is usually X. There'll be a formula to work that out. And I'm sure you could probably tell me what that is, Jordan, in the States. I don't know. Is there a formula for doing that? I'm sure there is. I have no idea what it breaks down to, but I'm sure there's a multiple somewhere yeah. in there for lawyers. There, there usually is. However, you can increase on that average multiple. I know in the UK, uh, when partners or firms are looking to exit, they'll usually do three times their recurring fee revenue, roughly, roughly. Um, so if you want to increase on that, the, mul the things you have to do that feed into that multiple to make it four times, five times, six times the profit you're making, that's what we mean by multiple. These things on the screen are the things you have to focus on. And I cheated and I said there were five. There are actually six, but the first five lead to the sixth, okay? So the, the first layer is the talent pipeline, quality senior management team, the culture of the firm, 
and the habits and housekeeping. And when I talk about habits and housekeeping, I am talking about your strategies, okay? And your strategies are merely plans. Keep them simple. I'll go into a little bit more detail about that later. Your culture is your purpose, vision and values and how you're embedding those values into your firm. Again, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. And then the talent pipeline and your senior management team, making sure you're nurturing that next generation of leaders in the firm. Um, then you're talking about innovations, which sometimes, well, hang on, we're in law. What do you mean innovate? And when I'm talking about innovation, it might be the how you work, how you deliver your services, how you work with your staff. So, for example, one of my clients has just started an experiment to get rid of billable hours. Now, that's innovative for a law firm. They're going to trial it for six months, see what's happening. Very brave decision. But that's an example of innovation. Product and service extension. What else could we be offering? What else could we be talking to our clients about? Are there any services that we could in fact package up and maybe turn into products? Technology comes in here big time. And I really encourage all law firms to embrace technology as much as they possibly can, because that, that's gonna make the world of difference to how they grow, how they structured their growth, and, and how much they can hit above the, the size that they are. Technology is going to be able to, to help them do that. Then there's new channels to market, partnerships, joint ventures, all kinds of wonderful things. Doors can open up there when people start thinking beyond their immediate obvious uh, connections. Brand architecture. I'm absolutely passionate that law firms need a brand. Jordan, you'll know all about this. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And that brand must be aligned with the culture. You can't just leave it to fate and go, right, well, we've got the name of our firm, that's it, and it, you know, it looks pretty. No, it has to, the, the values of that brand have to stand firm and they have to run through everything you do. Those are the five things and that, and that leads to scalability. That makes scalability so much easier and more likely. Okay. So. Well, and the, the beauty of this though, I love, cause you're talking about it from the standpoint of sort of making it most valuable to sell, but the more you do those things earlier, one, it's going to be easier to do that. But two, it's going to make your life easier before you sell the firm. And then three, you should increase revenue to have a higher number that you can now multiply by more so you get exponential growth here. Beautiful, beautifully put, Jordan. Hit the nail on the head, absolutely spot on. That's exactly it. Now, which, which of those ones do you want me to go into next? What do you think our audience is gonna want to hear about? Because I can go into any of those. Do you have do you have more slides or is this the end of the slideshow? No, I've got, let me show you one more. Okay, let me show you this Okay. One because people ask me about culture and it's really fashionable at the moment to talk about your purpose and purpose-driven businesses and having a vision and values uh, and and businesses go well do I need that should I have that what does it actually mean will it do me any good and I think when it's done properly it, it we call our program culture as a foundation for growth and it absolutely gives you really solid foundations to accelerate the growth of your firm 
And when you're clear on a culture, one study showed that organizations with great cultures are 60% more valuable, which is the first thing. And two, the other things that studies show is that they're able to make clear conscious choices, they're much faster to adapt, and they attract and retain the best talent. Um, the opposite is true if the culture is a little bit toxic. You lose people, it becomes slow and stagnant, and people get stressed and stuck. Um, yeah, I always tell people, I sort of look at it as, like, brand is your external culture, and culture is sort of your internal brand. Like, what you want to be known for should be really, like, the core of your company's being. So, right, Jordan, your external promise has to match your internal promise to your uh, teams. And in fact, I would suggest that your internal promise, that delivering your brand promise to your internal customers, they're the most important customers because you get that right, then they will service and look after your external customers beautifully. Yes, definitely. I love that. All right, so yeah. let's do this. Um, anything else that you want to share from the slideshow? Because it's, it's a lot easier for Breezy to run our photos without the slideshow as he's jumping back and forth here. Cool. The last thing I'm going to talk about is values. So I'm going to exit the slideshow now. Okay. Okay. Because uh, and I'm going to stop presenting. There we go. I think I can do that. Stop presenting. There we go. Yeah. Because I want to talk about values. And a lot of people will have values written on the wall and on mouse mats and go, well, that's nice. That's pretty. Um, but I want people to know that you embed the values by identifying what they mean to you as a business and then the behaviors that are associated with those values. And then you start embedding behaviors into your processes and your systems, and it becomes the DNA of your firm. Um, and that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. Makes perfect sense. All right, Breezy, you got to swap totally fine with me. I think everybody will know that uh, I am me and Rebecca is Rebecca instead of the way that we're split now that we got rid of the uh, slideshow. Yeah, so. I don't have it's not a huge deal. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing we don't have in common. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So don't worry about it, Breezy. It's it's totally fine. Whatever you can put it back to, we can go from here. So all right, I just I love this concept because it really, I mean, especially the concentric circles that you had there in the slides. I think that was such a strong point because we all of these are sort of amorphous concepts, and the more you make them specific, the more you make them central to your company or to your firm the easier it is to make a lot of the millions of decisions that come out of these. So much easier. So if you have three core values, and I advocate having three, because nobody can remember much more than three, to be honest, and you understand what they mean to you as a business, and you've got the associated behaviors, you get opportunities that come along, and all you do is go, well, do they align with our values? Yes or no? If they do, great, go ahead and seize that opportunity. If they don't, don't do it. It's the same with staff. If they align with your values, go ahead and recruit them. If they don't align with your values, don't recruit them because you'll regret it. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So of the, the five things that you talked about to get that scalability, I'm just I'm going to leave it up to you because I think uh, we could we could easily do an entire show on any of those five things. So we are unfortunately limited to about another 15 minutes, okay. uh, 15, 20 minutes. So uh, up to you. What do you think is the most helpful for a law firm owner? Okay, so the most helpful for a law firm owner, but I'm trying to think of the things that they would possibly 
avoid doing because they didn't think it would lead to profits or they didn't think it would lead to revenues. And, I, and those are usually things that you should tackle first, okay? The things that organizations and firms think that are nice to have, but we don't really need them. And I'm gonna talk about the purpose, vision and values piece. And it is optional. It absolutely is optional. You don't have to lay those as a foundation for your culture. But a word of warning, if you don't design your culture, you end up with a culture by default. And particularly if there are owners of, of law firms who are ambitious to grow here, ask yourself this question. In 10 years time, what kind of law firm do you want? What, it, what do you want it to look like, feel like, sound like? What kind of life do you want it to be giving you? How do you want your firm to serve you? Okay. So many times I come across business owners, lawyers, architects, professionals who 10, 15 years down the line into their journey of growing their firm turn around and go, actually, I didn't want it to look like this. It, right. It, you know, it's taken over my life. I've not seen my family. I haven't seen my children grow up. I, I never meant it to be like this. What I would urge you, particularly for the early years, and it's never too late to start, is design the outcomes you want, design the culture you want, and design what you want your firm to give you. Because otherwise, again, you may as well go and work for somebody else. Um, so that purpose, vision, and values gives you that clear roadmap, a clear vision and destination of where you're heading and how, when I say how you're going to get there, I don't mean the detail of each client you're going to win or, or anything like that. Right. I just mean in the manner in which you're going to go there, you know, are you going to do it whilst giving yourself holidays? Are you going to do it whilst taking weekends off? Uh, and it's a choice. You know, it is an absolute choice. It's going to take you a bit longer if you take holidays and weekends off, but you're also going to have a life and your health. You could also go, look, I'm going to do it in five years. I'm just going to really go at it here. Um, but I know that's going to mean a huge sacrifice. You decide. Put yourself in the driving seat, which is why the purpose, vision and value piece is so crucial because the owners, the founders of the firm get to decide where they're going and the manner in which they want to get there. Well, it's interesting because I, I don't remember who said this to me the first, but it really stuck with me. They talked about being like an unintentional success. Yeah. And I think you'll find a number of law firm owners that are able to do that. You know, they're really good. And to some extent, this was me at the beginning. Like, thankfully, I was good enough at generating work to spend that money in totally incorrectly because I was an unintentional success, if you will, at that point. And so I love this concept of like the more that you really hammer down that core, who are you as a company? Who do you want to be as a company? What are you striving for? Just the easier it makes every decision. You know, does this fit our values? Does this fit the future I want? Does it fit the life I want to have? And I just, it's such a, it's such a simple concept, but it really is everything or at least helps you make the decision about anything. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really does. And stuff changes, you know? I designed a business for myself back in 2009 to suit the stage I was at in my career, in my life, and it involved working part-time and not too much stress because I was raising three kids. You know, two of those kids have now left home. The, the Tricrest business I designed back in 2018 
is completely the opposite because my life has now changed and moved on to the point where I actually want something different and I am prepared to put in the additional hours and the extra hard work to achieve what I want to achieve. So your vision might change according to your life stage and circumstance, and that's okay. Right, and that, and it's just, what I find is that people either, like they know where they wanna to get to and either they sacrifice the path there or they're not willing to allow themselves to change where they're trying to aim for. And really, as long as you're constantly working towards what you want and willing to change what you want to continue working towards that, like it's really hard to fail. Yeah, you can't, you can't fail, actually. <laughs> you're right. You, yeah, you've hit on a really interesting point. And when I, I help businesses with their vision, I say to them, it, it's not a case of we're a success when. It's a case of your success now. Each tiny baby step you take, each decision you take towards that, it is a success. It's a decision. You've moved forward in some way. Even if it's not worked out, you've still learned something from it. And you never hopefully repeat the same mistakes in the same way over and over again. They're always slightly different mistakes. Um, you kind of fail your way to success, I think, most of the time. Um, but yeah, you, you've got to enjoy that process. Don't put off enjoying that process. Enjoy it whilst you're in it without a shadow of a doubt. Life's too short not to. Yeah, no, I, and it's, and it just goes back to what you said a couple times now, but like, why are you in business? You know, like you should be in business to fund the life, the life that you want to have. You may not be able to afford the lifestyle that you want but you should be working towards, you know, that life in some manner. And obviously like, it's always a question of, I, I think making the shorter term sacrifices to get the longer term gains, you know, we're not all going to work one day a week right now, but we may work towards that over the next 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, and as your firm grows, there'll be things that you want to focus on more because you enjoy them and you're really good at them. And the other things that you'll delegate and find things that uh, people are better at than you. And that's where the strategy side c comes in. I'm cheating a little bit here saying, look, culture, purpose, vision, and values. It goes hand in glove with, with the strategy. You create the vision, then it, it's like, okay, let's break that down. By the end of the next 12 months, we're going to be here. Right. And, and again, keep it simple. Uh, we're going to be here and we're going to be doing this and it's going to give us this. That's the simplest 12 month strategy. And then you break it down into quarters, right? Well, at the end of this quarter, we're going to be here and we'll have done this. And by the time we've done four quarters, we should have met where we thought we were going to be. Okay. And I want to encourage everybody to set those 12 months strategies um, to be really quite large. Okay. And, look at them and go, I've no idea how we're going to achieve that. Okay. Don't, don't set ones that you go, Oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get that set ones that are, are going to stretch you. And, and even if you don't meet them, and I would suggest if you meet them consistently, then you're not setting them big enough, but the juice is in the journey. It, it's the stretch where you get the learning. It's that crikey. That's a really big goal, that plan that we've got to head for but it's the learning that you get on the way that makes, that creates that world-class firm 
because you learn so much as you stretch yourself. Well, and the beauty of this is literally nothing that we've said during this entire conversation has been a specific thing you need to work towards. But the more that you are answering that question in the way that is honest and right and genuine to you and your firm and your culture, the easier it's going to achieve it, the more you're going to enjoy achieving it, and the more it's going to be exactly what you wanted anyway. Exactly. You you cannot lose. You can only win. So our purpose at Tricrest is to make it happen for every business on the planet. That gets me excited and out of bed every morning. Even if I make millimeters worth of progress towards that, I've had a good day. Okay. If you're a lawyer and you, you know, I don't know, human rights lawyer, environmental lawyer, you want to change the world, change the planet, that gets you out of bed every morning. Everything you do is working towards that. Your values will stem from that. And the decisions you make to build your business will all be gathered around that. Yeah, you can only win. So now that we've got the, I don't even want to say mindset because it's not mindset, but now that we've got kind of the framework of this, are there like two or three of the most common problems or tips that you find yourself giving to law firms over and over again that we can share? Yeah. Baby steps. Yeah. Okay. Take it slow. Take it slow. Slow down to speed up take it a step at a time. So when I do the purpose, vision and values piece with clients, we do a day, maybe two days workshop. And then we embed the different elements over a period of about six months. And I maybe see them once a month. Um, Because you've got to take this slowly, you've got to make sure it fits for a start. And you try things on for size. Uh, and and you kind of work and operate going, well, I think with this, let's see if that works for us. Let's see if it feels comfortable. So yeah, baby steps, slow down to speed up. So, and I want to not push back. I want to follow up on that. So I always tell people, you sort of have to think about your law firm as a boat, you know, at the very beginning when it's just you, you're that little John boat, you can turn on a dime and then you grow into, you know, this cruise ship that's gonna be half a mile to pivot and change, which is why we've actually seen some smaller firms do a lot better over during COVID because they could pivot into that thing you know, on a dime. When you're talking about this like six month rollout, is that regardless of size or do you find that larger firms roll things out faster or have to roll things out slower? Okay, so larger firms, let's take, give me a definition of larger firms in this context and I can use a real life example. Sure. Um, let's say more than 20 attorneys, 50 or more staff, you know, something over that, as opposed to maybe the three to five attorney, you know, 10 or 15 people firm, as opposed to the true solo. Okay, great. So that size of firm, you, you, and this is why the senior management team is crucial. You should have, maybe you've got 50 staff in total. You'll have a managing partner or CEO type person leading the firm. And then you should have four heads of functions, okay? From that, those heads of functions, those people should be good enough to be able to implement any kind of change in structure or approach or process that you need to happen because in turn, they should have people reporting into them that can help them do it and you have a really great layer of command. So if the structures look right, you can still turn but you've got to have 
the talented people to help you do that. So from your perspective, the, a larger firm could move faster or at least as fast as long as they have just that right, um, oh my gosh, what's, I'm, I'm losing the word here, as long as they have like the right organizational structure. Uh, absolutely, who are empowered to make decisions. So the mistake leaders at the top make is that they will delegate the task, but they won't delegate the accountability and responsibility. All right. So if you delegated the task, make sure you delegate the accountability and responsibility so that not everything keeps having to come back to you. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I'm big on Kanban boards now. So you can see where the bottlenecks are and you could see if it's always the same person. And, you know, <laughs> ideally, usually it's the client who's always the bottleneck. Like you got everything done. You're waiting on them to review. But, you know, not everybody's that lucky. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So an example, my... The lady who works for me, who writes all our copy for our website uh, and our blogs, she said to me, can you just check this? And she's worked for me for about three months now. For the first couple of things, I checked and saw that she was brilliant, much better than me. Uh, and I went, no, I'm not going to check it. You, I've delegated this to you. It's your accountability and responsibility. No, I'm not going to check it. Because if I said, yeah, I'm going to check it, then she's... She has no responsibility for it whatsoever. So I went, no, if you think it's right, then go ahead and publish. Yeah, and it's and that's such a fine point because I think, well, so one, we're not taught to delegate in law school. And I think a lot of lawyers have that problem. But the difference between delegating the task and delegating the responsibility is close, but that's a huge, it's a huge difference. I mean, that's where you're getting you know, you're getting somebody empowered to change the system, fix the, the system, find better solutions, as opposed to somebody who's just doing grunt work. Absolutely. Employ smart people and then leave them to get on with it. <laughs> I love it. That could be, that could be the, the best takeaway from this. Um, I, I was uh, many years in recruitment and I used to recruit lawyers and they would come to me and say, you know, I'm why are you leaving the firm? It was never salary, by the way. That was always the headline, salary. And then you dug a little bit further. It was never salary. It was, I don't get to do any of the interesting work. The partner takes it all, okay? Give people, give talented people great work to do and they'll stick with you. Makes and perfect sense. So you're free to grow your business and find even better work. Right. And find even more people that could find more of that great work and be better and the expert at doing more interesting work and just consistently try and, you know, I guess snowballing, but in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. You keep raising yourself up so the other people keep raising themselves up. And it's fantastic. It's great. It, great. it creates a really happy culture in a firm. So as we're getting towards the end of this, I mean, any other, I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch more, but what, what other insight and wisdom do we have to talk about for the five steps to building a world-class law firm? Yeah. So uh, one of the things I'm not going into huge amount of detail about is, is your revenue cycle, uh, your, you know, where you get your clients from, um, how you talk to your clients, how you look after your clients, um, and are you getting the right clients? So there's a temptation to just go, oh yes, we're a full service law firm and let's get everybody. Right. And and the one thing I would say to anybody is, is don't try and be all things to all people, particularly when you're starting out. 
the big global law firms can do it because they're huge and they've scaled up okay they can have massive functions that just do one thing and they can have lots of them but as you're growing get known for being really good at one particular thing really well and you will be able to branch out from there don't be tempted to try and do everything for everybody pick a niche stick with it and i promise you'll get other opportunities that will grow out from that if you want them and the one thing along those lines i always add so if you are medical malpractice personal injury anything contingency fee that that currency cycle that payment cycle has to include how long it takes you to get paid on the case as well because a lot of these cases will take four years and if you don't know the finances of how many cases on day one equals the right payments on day 1200 you're going to be in trouble at a point where you can't change what you're doing uh, absolutely i totally agree so you've got to work out your business model you've got to work that out early on so that you structure accordingly. And it may be, Jordan, that if you know that you're not gonna get paid out for, for four years, you have some small products or smaller uh, services that are related to right. one that get you money drip fed along the way. Yeah, definitely. But don't be tempted to go off in a completely different direction. Yeah. Right, makes total sense. All right, any, um, any other most oh. most important i mean i know like i said we could easily do an hour on every one of these five things but in you know in in two to three minutes anything else i want to make sure we add on there yeah absolutely invest in your own leadership development um you're gonna be leading people okay you 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 won't just be a lawyer anymore you will be a leader of people please invest in your own leadership development for your own sanity apart from anything else um and and i think it will reap you such huge rewards personally and professionally and you'll have a much stronger business it's often neglected by people in professional services but please do invest it, it's not a luxury it's a necessity it's not an indulgence it's really important and the point the, the fine point there i gotta make is being a leader and being a manager are often two very different things. Like for me personally, I hate managing. Like it is my least favorite thing. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to macromanage. I want to lead. And there's a difference in there that is the difference between me liking it and hating it. And also usually between me being a burden or not in terms of what's going forward. So yeah, um, yes, leadership is humongous. It, it, it's massive and again we could do i have an an eight month program for leadership so you know we could have eight hours on that Jordan. <laughs> there we go all right so um so let's do this we'll get we're getting towards the end here so i want to make sure that we talk um about our upcoming our next show so also another uh international guest filippo piras with shield for those of you that don't know shield is probably the leading addition to LinkedIn. The program goes in and goes through all of your LinkedIn posts and figures out what makes the most sense and will get you the most engagement and how you can then use that to continue and grow. So he's going to be sharing with us the top seven ways on becoming a thought leader in your niche. Um, I would drive you to Jay Harrington's video that was a couple weeks ago who talked about thought leadership and some LinkedIn tips. We'll do a lot of the follow-up here, but in a slightly different technique. Jay does it for more of a 
coach consultant standpoint. Filippo does, Filippo does it obviously more from a product standpoint, actually having the one that goes into your, or integrates with LinkedIn. And we'll get into that in more detail. So, but I cannot let you go, Rebecca, without the, the one more golden nugget, one more diamond nugget of wisdom. So if somebody's been listening to this for the last 45 minutes, and they take nothing else from this, what is the biggest, most important takeaway thing that they have to know if they want to be the exhibit A of a successful lawyer? Well, first of all, thank you for staying for that length of time. I really appreciate it. Um, the one thing, the one thing of being really successful lawyer, okay, I would suggest, and I advise this of leaders in all kinds of walks of life, Look in the mirror first. If you're not getting the results you want, look in the mirror first, okay? Most of the time, we are getting in the way of our own success. Get out of your own way and work out what it is that you perhaps need to do more of, do less of, let go of, and then the path will be clearer. Do you find the do you find that there are the same or similar problems often or that we all hold ourselves back in different ways uh i think human beings have a wonderful potential to hold themselves back and i think it's practicing looking at situations circumstances outcomes and going is it me and that being the first question. Um, and that just comes with practice. And it might not be you, who knows, but it's the first question. That's, certainly, if this isn't working, if something isn't going the way I wanted, expected, planned, I go, is it me? What have I done, said? How have I behaved? What decisions have I made to get to this point? Uh, and yeah, start with myself, definitely. You're the common denominator in your life and work. so. You have an impact. <laughs> and the interesting thing is most of the time, it's probably easier if you are the problem than if yeah. you're not the problem, because you have a lot more agency and control over yourself than you do over anything else. And so oftentimes you shouldn't be shying away from understanding you're the problem. You should be running towards it because you can solve it faster and easier. Uh, absolutely. My biggest lesson from running my first business was that I should have stepped back as MD probably four years before I did. I should have let somebody else run it as MD and I should have become head of sales, commercial development, whatever. Biggest lesson. Uh, and I made that mistake again. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I have, we've got the tricrest.com we've got your twitter handle on here we've got your linkedin the linkedin page for tricrest any other contact information or things you want to make sure that we have here no you'll find me there you'll find if you like our tricrest company page on linkedin we invite people to lots of free workshops um throughout the year so please come to that and you'll get an invitation to whatever's coming up next all right Perfect. Then thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.